Welcome to the Believe and Follow podcast. I'm your host, James Ritazzi. The book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, contains seven messages to seven local churches from Jesus Christ, who appeared to the Apostle John in a vision while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. Jesus was not pleased with what was going on in most of these churches, And these messages serve as a warning, but also an encouragement to do better. If you want to stop and read the first three chapters of Revelation now, it would help you to understand the context of the following discussion. In a conversation recorded late last year, Jeremy Zachary made a very useful observation about the message Jesus had for these seven churches. Okay, how about this one? Go. Uh, Revelation 3, 21. Revelation 3, 21. This, this word happens, this word occurs in a lot of places, but my question is, do you know where it is actually defined, what it okay. means? The word Revelation conquers. 3, the one who conquers, I will so, grant him to sit with me on, throne, on my throne, and I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So do you know of any place where that, what is meant by that conquer? I mean, I, I, you know, I, can, I can extrapolate. Well, the idea that pops into my mind is, since these are the words of Jesus especially, Jesus said, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. So the one who conquers is the one who stands firm to the end. Just like Jesus stood firm to the end and sat down with my father on his throne. And that's the first thing that comes into my head. He uses the same, or at least it's translated, the same word to each of these churches. Like the first one. Um, let's see. you got to go all the way back to, yeah, to the second Revelation chapter 2. So, uh, verse 7. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. The next one, to who he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Right. Uh, third one, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden man to eat. So, I mean, you know. so it's interesting that that's a theme in all of the letters. Yeah. If there was a place that actually tells, you know, I can I can guess basically what it probably means, but anything more specific. Let's just see. So the word he who overcomes is more conquerors. Same. same. Right. 
Mikhao, which is to conquer, to carry off the victory, coming victorious of Christ, victorious of all his foes, of Christians, and hold fast to their faith even unto death against the power of the foe of love. And what is up? 28 times. It's interesting to see how the words used in various places. So, for example, Romans 12, 21, where it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That helps you with some definition. It's this idea of standing firm to the end. First of all, having repented of your sins and, and being a believer in Jesus Christ, believing His promise, following instructions, and standing firm to the end. First John 5, verse 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Yeah, I like that. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So I think the usage of the word conveys the same meaning that pops into my head, which is this idea that you're going to believe in Jesus and you're going to stand firm, hold your faith to the end, and that's how you overcome it. So that's what my answer would be. What would yours be? Where was your brain going before I chimed in? Conquer makes it sound like we're doing something. Does that make sense? Which sure, is sure. kind of... What's the word like? Antithetical? Uh, I don't know if that's the word yeah. It seems like, you know, by works, not by faith, that kind of idea. Right. But what's the difference? Why is it not by works? Because you say it's not. <laughs> the Apostle Paul says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So, whatever works that I do, so let's say I've done these works. The sinful works that I've done, the just compensation for those things is death. So I've earned death by my sins. You agree with that, right? Sure. sure. So I've earned death by my sin. So now I do some good thing, which is believing God and following his instructions. And instructions are not particularly burdensome. Have I now earned salvation? Have I done something of an equivalent value to compensate for all the sinning that I've done? Well, that's a sort of trick question, though. Because, uh, just because... Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Tell me why it's a trick question. Because if God has put down that if you do this, you will get this, then he's saying, isn't that kind of the opposite of... It would be more like the wages of believing me and following my instructions is eternal life? You would, except for the fact that what he's teaching us is the value of the thing that you do is not equivalent, does not earn you life. Abraham did what? He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The sacrifice that was made to pay for our sins was Christ. Christ is the perfect sacrifice. We don't personally have the value to make that sacrifice. So what's being offered to us, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life is being offered to us as a gift. The conditions that God has put on being able to receive that gift is that he wants us to believe. 
So the value of what we're doing doesn't equal the value of the gift that we're receiving. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. If I give you... What kind of car do you want to use today? <laughs> Maserati. If I give you a Maserati and I say, here's the Maserati, here's the gift. What you need to do, though, is if you see me walking down the street in the rain, stop and give me a ride. So, sure enough, you're tooling around in the Maserati that I gave you, and you see me walking down the street, it's raining, so you stop, open the door, say, get in, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Target. Okay, you drive me to Target, you drive me off Target. Now you've earned the Maserati, right? Basically. No, <laughs> but you haven't really earned. The value of dropping me off at Target is not equal to the value of the Maserati. That's the thing. God gives us instructions to follow because that's the way he has decided to do things. But we haven't earned eternal life by following his instructions. Our sins have earned us death. Some sins can be undone, but some sins can't be undone. Like, let's say I murdered somebody. Is there any way I can compensate anyone for that? The person I killed? I took away from him something that I can't replace. So there's no way I'm going to be able to equalize the scales in that matter. But the death of Jesus is of such value because he's this perfect sacrifice that God looks on the sacrifice of Jesus and is able to credit it to us as righteousness if we believe. Does the difference make sense? So I do agree with you. So the idea of overcoming, let's go back to where we started. The idea of overcoming the world implies, well, you have to do a specific thing. And once you've succeeded in this thing, you've overcome the world. It's like, well, you haven't overcome the mountain unless you've climbed up to the top of the mountain and gone over it and back down. That's sort of what's implied. But we know that what Jesus calls overcoming the world is us standing firm to the end, us being faithful to God's promises and instructions, and that's what overcoming the world is. That's why I like Romans 12, 21, where it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, what is the good thing that we're doing? We're not necessarily overcoming evil by doing something that specifically counteracts that evil. Somebody calls me a name, I'm going to call them a worse name, and there we go. I one up you. No, it's like, don't engage in evil, do something that's good. And the good thing you do may be entirely different than the evil that's been done to you. So I completely understand what you're saying. It seems to be contradictory. That's why we have to study it and go into what it really means as opposed to what it might seem to mean at first blush. Do you think Jesus meant it by the same definition when he says the word in John 16.33? John 16.33. should be on the, this list. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Yeah, I think that's the same... So you don't think it's more, it's more like a outlasted rather than beat up, that kind of an idea? So it's not beat up, because Romans 12 teaches us it's not beat up. Conquered, yeah. Well, how did Jesus 
conquered death. Did he beat death up? He never gave it purchase to begin with in his life. That's how he conquered death. And how did he conquer death for us? By... By dying. Becoming a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When they came to him to kill him, he wasn't like, hey, I got the power to kill you, so don't even think about it. That wasn't what he did. And why did he let them kill him? Because that's what he and the father wanted to do. Yeah, that's what the father told him to do. And so he was obedient to the father, even unto death. That's how he conquered death for us. He has overcome sin, he's overcome death, he's overcome the world. He sees the right hand of the Father, but he didn't do it by destroying all those people. And that was the problem that the nation of Israel had. The Messiah is going to come, and he's going to overturn the rule of Satan. Well, how's he going to do that? What the Jews thought at the time that Jesus came is he's going to smash those Romans and drive them out of the Holy Land. But he didn't do that. Instead, he gets killed. Oh, well, that was a... Uh, that firecracker kind of sputtered out there. But that was really the thing that conquered Satan. That's the problem that people have even to this day. They say, well, where is this rule of Christ? I don't see this rule of Christ. There's all sorts of bad things going on. How is Christ ruling? Is it making sense to you? So you're saying... It should be basically stand firm. You feel like that might be a better one? Well, no, I think they use the word that means conquer, so it's just like faith is the victory that overcomes the world. What's the victory that overcomes the world? Our faith. That's what John said. But wait a second, how is your believing God going to be your victory? God has set it up so that your faith is of paramount importance. Because how is Abraham believing God going to make him righteous so we conquer through our faith conquer through our faith absolutely because what does our faith cause us to do if i believe what you're telling me i'm going to follow your instructions if the weatherman says it's going to rain even though the sun's out and i believe him i'm going to take an umbrella with me so that it, it does rain i get wet that's an act of faith in the weatherman i'm following his instructions you better take an umbrella it's going to rain today it's the same thing with God. If someone smacks you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Don't exchange sin for sin. Do not take revenge on somebody who does something evil to you. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says God. And that may be a difficult thing to do. And there are all sorts of other things. There are all sorts of other instructions that God gives that maybe don't make sense to someone who's not immersed in these instructions. Why do we get together on the first day of every week? All we're doing is sitting in a room, eating some dried crackers and drinking some grape juice and yakking. We can yak anywhere. How is that important or significant in any way? Well, it's important and significant because we're doing our very best to follow exactly what God told us to do. Okay. Starting to make sense or is it just... Uh, I, like, I like that. The... Yeah. the the use of, I guess, our faith, I guess, sort of being our weapons slash victory, that kind of an idea. It's our armor. What is that in uh, Ephesians 6? Put on the full armor of God? It's our armor. 
And the reason why it may cause us some trouble is because the word faith is not used that way in common language. I know it's not going to rain today. What do you mean? How do you know it's not going to rain today? I see some clouds up there. Well, I believe. When you say I believe, you're saying something with less veracity than I know. And that's not the way the Bible uses faith, the way the Bible uses belief. When people say, well, I believe in you, it's like, I believe you're going to accomplish this thing because, well, I choose to believe in you. Not for any good reason. Hey, but I like you, you promised you'd do a thing for me, so I, I believe in you. Well, you might get hit by a bus. And then my faith is useless. But if God tells you something, then you can take it to the bank. You can say, that's absolutely so. If God says, he who stands firm to the end will be saved, I believe that. I'm saying that's absolutely so. I'm saying that's what it is. That's what the word amen means. That's where we follow up with amen. That counteracts how people take the word believe. When I say amen, I'm saying yes, absolutely so. I'm absolutely certain that if I blow up this napkin, it's going to release it there, it'll fall to the floor. I'm absolutely certain. In the same way, I'm absolutely certain that he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Well, what do I know about it? The only thing I know about it is what Jesus told me. Because Jesus is Lord. He told me, I'm as certain of that as I'm certain that this napkin will fall to the floor if I blow it up. And watch it falls up. You think it's going to fall up? You think it's going to hit the ceiling if I do this? I don't know. Was there ever any doubt? In physics, you always have to have that, that sliver of doubt. Who <laughs> yeah, knows it what might have, theoretically see, should should I, I, If I try this a thousand times, how many times is it going to hit the ceiling? The idea is not to have that sliver of doubt. The idea is to act as if you're as certain that he who stands firm to the end will be saved. You're as certain that you have the promise of eternal life held out in front of you. As certain of that as your gravity. That's what faith is. And you're going to behave like you have that certainty. So that other people are going to go, what's with this guy? He behaves differently than us. Well, because he's certain that he's going to have eternal life if he stands firm to the end, if he follows God's instructions. So he's not going to go to the strip club with us. He's not going to go out shooting people in synagogues with us. He's not going to do any of these things because he knows that God has not instructed him to do so. Boom. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day, a while ago, but you just reminded me. Like, What's um, that? like the word faithful, you know, the way that we use it in, in language, you know, if something is a faithful replica, it's an exact replica, you know, it's exactly yeah. the same, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but then when you take off that full off the end and just just uh, use the word faith like it's kind of warped or, you know it should be the same as faith right just just a different version of that same word but it's not like we, we kind of change the meaning uh, yeah. yeah that's exactly right if you've got your little uh, action figure and it's a faithful replica or whatever but then you change it yeah but I don't like the fact that it has a red hat I put a blue hat on now it's different, you know. It's not a faithful. You know, back when I was a kid, they used to call the long playing records high fidelity. High five. Right? That, that high five, exactly. It's a more faithful reproduction of the original material than the old 78 RPM records were. And it was. 
And that's what fidelity is about. Fidelity is being more faithful to the original sound that was recorded. And that's what our faith should be. This discussion began with an observation that in every one of the seven messages to the seven churches in the book of Revelation is found this encouragement to overcome or conquer. These churches needed encouragement. Many were experiencing persecution, and many also were being challenged by false teaching and problems of their own making. So Jesus offered his assessment and some quite pointed criticisms, but always ending with an encouragement to overcome. Jesus knew what he was talking about because he overcame. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Jesus gives us a positive example of what it means to stand firm to the end. And he encourages us to overcome. This is a positive restatement of the same message we looked at in the previous podcast. Remember, do not be deceived. The Bible gives us this message in various forms, both positive and negative. The writer to the Hebrews goes on in chapter 3 to cite the example of Israel in the desert as a warning. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Entering his rest means being with God for eternity. God makes it clear that there are specific things we each need to do to overcome. If I want to conquer Mount Everest, there are specific things I need to do 
to accomplish that goal. I might get advice from people who know something about it before I make my attempt. What will happen to me if I am not properly instructed? I won't conquer. I will die. God wants to make sure we understand that this is true spiritually also. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. That's from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. How do we conquer? We conquer by doing good. How do we know what is good? God has given us instruction so that we can follow his instruction, do good, and live. I mentioned Galatians 6 verses 7 through 10 in the last podcast also. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We have mentioned before that spirituality is connected with the mind and thinking. Sowing to the flesh is following my own reasoning and desires. Sowing to the spirit is following God's reasoning and desires. This problem is exacerbated by the fact that all our lives we've been indoctrinated with distortions of God's reasoning and desires. All the more reason why it is necessary to examine God's word carefully to get to the truth of what he expects from each of us. Let's look at one of the messages to one of the churches Jesus cited in Revelation from chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Finally, to drive my point home today, let's look at the words of the Apostle Peter from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. 
Peter's goal in his letters is also to encourage the believers to stand firm. His words include warnings also. And this final passage that we'll look at today poses a question concerning those who have not committed themselves to believing and following God's instruction. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or even if you have any helpful suggestions, please feel free to email me at james at believeandfollow.org. That's all for now. Goodbye and God bless. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine.